Hey, this is Dean. This is one of those classic episodes that we thought was going to be a single long-ish episode that got too long, so we've cut it into two episodes. Here is part one of The Disappearance of Keith Reinhardt, a very fascinating story. We hope you enjoy that. By the way, also enjoy the part where Carrie left in where I struggle to turn off my text notifications. That was very nice for her to leave that in. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Weird World Podcast, where we talk about weird things. My name's Carrie. And I'm Emma. I'm Dean. What you got for us, Dean? I've got a mystery. Nothing supernatural, more the... I don't give too much away yet. Okay. Okay. (laughs) But it will be, once I say some names, probably a lot of folks who are fans of... I don't know if true crime mystery is the right word. It's not really that so much. But fans of things like that, they'll um, they'll know. I'm a fan of things like that. I know you are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So have you heard of Keith Reinhardt? Are you asking me? Yeah, have you? Do you want me to be honest? Just a little bit. Yes, I have. Keith who? Keith Reinhardt? No. That name sounds familiar, but Keith is a relatively common name. (laughs) So it's very possible that... I know, Keith, that's what you mean. Well, Keith Reinhardt was going through a midlife crisis. Mm, don't you all? His, he was about to turn 50 years old. Ooh. He covered local sports for a small suburban newspaper called the Chicago Daily Herald in Illinois. I feel like though there's a million of those. I'm surprised. I actually looked this up and it's still around. It still exists. Oh, but really? I was frankly surprised to find. I mean, I, I think a, I imagine a lot of those little local papers are, are gone. Just, are, they're gone. They yeah. just can't compete. I mean, the big newspapers are going out of business. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. I guess they get local advertising, and that's enough for them to yeah to scuttle along. But we, we have one in our little locality. You're right, we do, and it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> he had not written the great American novel though by this time. He hadn't graduated graduated on to sort of you know bigger journalistic heights. And he had kind of grown sick of the, the hustle and bustle of city life in Chicago. So he was kind of disappointed with himself. And at times he even became depressed. He had also put on weight. So he's just kind of a downer. As right we now. do. As we do. <laughs> Is he married? He loved his wife, Carolyn. Oh, okay. <laughs> and his two children. But Keith was searching for something more, or at least something different. Something younger. Oh. Probably. <laughs> Yeah, I'm on Carolyn's side. All right, there's no signs yet. <laughs> Either way, I'm on. So his he side. got a sports car, got his balls waxed, and got a mesh tank top, and went out in the town. Oh, no, God. he did not do any of those things, as far as I know. He had an old friend named Ted Parker. Keith and Ted had grown up together, and they still talked occasionally. Ted owned a little diner called the KP Cafe in the tiny town of Silver Plume, Colorado. So, Silverplume, a little bit of background here for you. Sounds like a mining town. Indeed it was. It's about, I'm smart. You're very smart. <laughs> Silverplume. Context yeah. clues. Yeah, no, good. That's good. That's good for, you know, a toddler. It was about 50 miles west of Denver in Clear Creek County. It's a stretch of dying buildings that hug Interstate 70, pressed on both sides, north and south, from high mountains. So, it's really just kind of tucked in there and nestled in there. Pendleton Mountain and its sister peaks rise really high to the south. Pendleton Mountain itself gets over 12,000 feet in altitude. No, I don't know what that is in meters. 4,000-something meters. 
In winter, <laughs> in fact, when the sun just sort of skids along low across the horizon, much of the town is in perpetual shadow. Oh, really? For months at a time. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Especially the south side. I guess the, the mountains are higher in the south. So it's just in shadow all day long. And even like there's a, the north side might get like two hours of sun on wow. days through the winter. Like Alaska. A little bit. It's not night. Right. But it's just in, in the yeah. shadow of a mountain. Ted, though, he bragged about this slower pace of Silver Plume, the beautiful mountains at his doorstep, and the clean air and good mountain living. Yeah. Fresh spring water, too, I'll betcha. I, well, mm, we'll see. We'll see. Actually, <laughs> actually, it, 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 there was a river there. I think it's the Clear C Creek River is right along. It goes right through town or just south of town, I believe. I can help you find a place if you turn on location services. <laughs> oh. You can shut the hell up. This is um, Siri talking to me. Why is she talking to me? I don't know. Because you oh. said some sort of location. Shut up, Siri. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, that's never happened to me before. Interesting question. I don't know why I'm responding to you. Why are you talking to me? Between Siri and starts with an A, ends with Alexa. <laughs> they can be really annoying time. We're looking at it right now to see if it starts talking to us, but A, Alexa is not talking to us. You've got to be really careful. Keith was hooked from the stories from his Ted, his friend Ted Parker. <laughs> his Ted. His Ted. He would take some time off from his job at the Chicago Herald and rediscover himself in the mountains. And leave Carolyn at home? Hell yeah. <sighs> he would... <laughs> I'm assuming the, the children were older, you know, self-sufficient. I mean, I, if he was 50... I don't know how old they were, to be honest with you. Probably. Okay. Let's go with that. Yes. I think they were a little bit older. Yeah. I think he was just living with Carolyn at the time. Well, Carrie, this is going to... just. It's going to happen. <laughs> just, you should prepare for this. Oh, it's going to happen with you and me? Uh, no, just me. Oh. I'm, I'm probably going to get like a Miata if I yeah. can fit my legs in there. You already now. had one. I, no, I did not have one. That. I had a Honda Del Sol. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, sorry. Okay. I thought you had a Miata. My you bad. thought about it. I went through a midlife crisis in my 20s. <laughs> it was, uh, um, yeah, I'm probably going to do something like that. No, you know what? I'll get a electric car. And go buzzing around the mountains in my little electric car, <laughs> running out of energy. And <laughs> Good then, luck getting up the mountain. And then dying. So just, you know, prep for it, care. Okay. But Keith. Uh, I'll prep for it by getting life insurance. Oh, good thinking. Yeah. Good, logical, hard-headed thinking. Okay. I know if you get life insurance, my days are numbered. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> She yeah. knows way too much about killing. So Keith would start that novel that he'd always been wanting to write. He'd go hiking and get in shape. He could open a little business, he thought. And Ted had already promised to help him with that. Even Keith's fear of heights seemed to draw him to Silver Plume. He thought, maybe I can conquer this fear of heights. He had acrophobia by hiking up into the clouds and surviving, and I'll, be, I'll get better at that. So he just kind of wanted to remake himself, I suppose. Into a hiker. No, into somebody just different. It was just going to be three months. He got a sabbatical from his job, as I mentioned. That's all he wanted. And who knew if this side hustle, whatever shop he was going to open up in Silver Bloom, that worked out. He thought maybe Carolyn could come live with him and they can live happily in the mountains of Silver Bloom forever and ever. He's a dummy. Well, Carrie, he was, he was dreaming. He was chasing his dream. <laughs> Leave him alone. I mean, who goes and thinks they're going to open up a business for three months? Well, you know, if it took off, it, it looked like he'd, he'd make that sabbatical until I quit. And that sure, would be their, their income. Sure, but I don't know. You think Carolyn should be on board 
from the get-go. Carolyn says, you know what? Go chase your dream. Like a good wife should. Good no, spouse should. I care if you want to do it, you go for it. I would say go chase your dream. I may or may not join you. Wow. I don't know how much they talked about her. <laughs> I don't know if that was just, you know, kind of in the back of his mind, like, hey, two months in, I'm doing great. I'll, ha- I'll bring it up. Or if they had talked about before he left or not, I'm not sure. Yeah. That's my issue. I don't know. The, I, I sense some poor communication. <laughs> <laughs> So he got a sabbatical and he said goodbye to Caroline and presumably the kids in early June of 1988. And then he set out to find a new Keith Reinhardt. Oh, God. Yikes. Yikes at the writing, which I think is pretty good. Oh, yikes <laughs> at the... Uh, yikes at Keith. The mission. Okay. Yeah, yikes the, the dream. Go to therapy. Don't move. This was therapy. This is therapy. It's mountain therapy. That's not therapy. Uh, You have a wife and kids. Go to fucking therapy. You don't need to move to a different state. That's you're disappointed in your accomplishments and your level of success. So you're gonna run away from yourself. Yes. Yes. He's still gonna gonna find your new self. He's good. Nope. He's gonna be the same self. No, he's not. He's gonna be skinnier. He's not gonna have acrophobia. He's gonna be the same self who's just doing different shit. Mm, You're so pessimistic. Yeah. Every man listening to this right now. Go to therapy. Yep. Just Every go man, to therapy. Listen to this right now. Go to Silver Plume. <laughs> <laughs> R, R, get yourself a Honda Del Sol because they don't make them anymore, mm-hmm. I, I assume. And I get one on eBay. Drive it around. Go to the mountains. Or get a leaf. Get a Nissan leaf. Be a little more Jesus. responsible. It's a different, different era. So with some legwork help from Ted Parker, Keith had rented a small retail space right next to Ted's Cafe on Main Street in Silver Plume. He would sell antiques and also matted photographs. <laughs> what? Sounds like there's a great market in Silver Plume. Hey. For matted photographs of what? Silver Plume? The mountains? Probably. I don't know. Maybe of your family. Tourist. There's a is, tourist season in the summer for just, just a few short ask, months. Is there I'm a sure. big tourist? It's not a long season, draw. but it's there. There's, there's a few people. It's right on Interstate 70, so it's not like it's completely isolated. It's, it's you know. I see why Carolyn might not have joined him. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, at least he'd have he'd help defray the cost of no longer having an income from the newspaper by selling a few matted photographs and, and antiques in Silver Plume during the summer, during this, the tourist season. So You got to have capital. What's he, where is he going to get the antiques to sell? I assume they were just left there. No. <laughs> just foraging. <laughs> just walked around town. Is that old? Can I have it? Is that a lantern? Is it broken? Can I take it and sell it? I don't know. I mean, he must have bought a few antiques on the way or around the area and <laughs> started with that. He just sold his old shit. Probably. Probably. Is that a wheelbarrow? Yes. Is it, it is. seven years old? I'm not that impressed. So business was slow. At the beginning, I'm not going to deny that, <laughs> and Tom wouldn't either. But he was settling in when a customer in his shop came through the store and started talking about the space, the actual retail space itself. The customer said, did you know the guy who rented the shop before you did? Keith said, no, never heard of him. And the customer said his name was Tom Young. And I, I imagine Keith said, neat. So mm-hmm. the customer said, uh, the weird thing about Tom is that he went to walk his dog one day, and he never returned. He disappeared. So Keith says, what's that now? (laughs) Again, I assume. I'm reinventing myself into a sleuth. (laughs) Pretty much. Keith 
so, you know, he probably squinted at the customer and said, tell me more about Tom Young. Said he vanished. He just disappeared one day. We've never seen him since. That was nine months ago. And he How's was in dog? this very same space. The dog has never been found as well. Oh, my God. It was back on September 7th, 1987. Keith was hooked again. But now for, for this. It, before it was moving to silver plume, now it was, let me find out what's going on with this whole Tom Young disappearance thing, right? Mm -hmm. He started looking into it, and soon he was borderline obsessed. I mean, Jesus. every day it consumed him. Then one day, Keith went for a walk on Pendleton Mountain, just outside town, the same way that Tom Young had almost a year before. He it was he had done this before. He had hiked up the mountain before. This was on August 7th, 1988, 11 months to the day from when Tom Young had vanished. And since that day, August 7th, 1988, Keith Reinhardt has never been seen again. What the fuck? Ooh. What a twist. Twist. <laughs> I didn't know that. Emma didn't know that. <laughs> Carrie's pretending. Sometimes <laughs> if we know, the, the we need to do a little pretending. Bear that in mind. So if sometimes if you think me or my family is stupid because like, hey, dummy, guess something. Sometimes it's because we don't want to give it away. Yeah. Just keep well, that in mind. I knew the gist of the story. I don't remember all the details. I didn't remember how much I didn't like. Didn't like? What he oh. was doing. Or, wow. You know. You're being pretty judgy about Keith. I am. You know, he's disappeared. Yeah. Okay, and, then. But you can suck as a person and disappear. <sighs> I don't think he sucked. I don't know that he sucked, but. No, I think he's a very nice guy. You know, I just question his... I just really encourage men to go to therapy. I yeah. really encourage them to go to Silverplume. <laughs> this is how we differ. Silverplume originally was going to be a gold mine, literally, for its founders. Right? I'm giving a little background now. Okay. Again. Instead of finding gold there, though, they found silver. Yeah. So they mm -hmm. made do with that, and the town thrived for a time. But then it fell on hard times, and the price of silver declined. Defiantly, the town survived, but barely. It held on. Really, it was has been called a living ghost town. Oh wow! It should have hmm. given up his ghost a long time ago, but it doesn't. And to this day, it still survived. In the late 1980s, when Tom Young moved there originally, Civil Plume had had about 200 lonely souls left behind. Ooh, that was really? it. So it's a tiny town. Yikes. That's yeah. Oh my goodness! And it's, it, go on Google Maps or Google Earth or something like that. The buildings, most of the buildings. Looked like old timey nineteenth wow. century wooden buildings. Yeah, it it does. They just it almost looks like a ghost town that just happens to have some people living there still. Hmm. Wow, it's pretty cool. So, uh, how close is it to the nearest metropolis? Denver is like fifty miles or so away. Oh, that's pretty far. But it's up in the mountains, so it's it's not. I mean, it's probably like back in SoCal going to Big Big Bear. I don't know. Probably it's actually even closer but, than that. I yeah. think actually. But yeah. So, but I could see them getting a fair amount of Denver tourism, right? Yeah, I suppose, or, or tourism of, of folks moving through because again, it's, it's on a major interstate. But yeah, it's it's two hundred people left, man. That's yeah, it. that's tiny. Yeah, it is. Tom Young rented his retail storefront at Main Street and Silver Streets, and again, it was right next to the KP Cafe. Tom Young, he was a former Army Special Ranger who had been teaching at Arvada High School in Arvada, which is a Denver suburb, before he moved to Silver Plume. And one source I found said he moved there years before, but that doesn't sound right. Everything else mm -hmm. indicates he had just lived there 
a short time, about a year or so before he disappeared. What was his wow. store? What did he do? He sold books, old books mainly, oh, okay. but a, a small bookstore. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> I like Again, Tom Young. Yeah. And then in 1987, when, when he, apparently when he disappeared, maybe he moved there in 86, early 87, it, you can still, you still had a thing called bookstores. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. So. They're, they're not a thing anymore. Sadly. I might research them. Tom, the, Tom Young came to Silver Plume, apparently a pretty lonely man, though, and he was also looking for a change. He, for about a year, it seems, he eked out a living selling these old books. But by 1987, Tom lived alone with his, his dog, Gus, and uh-huh. had few real friends. He really hadn't made a big impression there in town. Mm-hmm. He was kind of a loner. He was something of a mystery to the people there in Silver Plume and kind of kept himself, so they didn't know a ton about him personally. He seems also to have been viewed as a little bit of an oddball. And this is a town with a lot of pretty quirky people. Yeah. And a lot of transients, by the way, who kind of come in like Tom was, apparently, and like Keith was going to be, or thought whether they're, they just come in, kind of try their hand at doing something in the mountains and then move on. They get a lot hmm. of that. Yeah. You probably have a romantic notion of what it's going to be like. Yeah. And then it's like, oh shit. This and then is- they're not I'm going to move to a small town near the mountains and open a flower shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's exactly, I'm, that, and that happens. they have no yeah. friends in one grocery store. Yeah. That's- and then nobody comes to their flower shop. Mm-hmm. So. Keith was very friendly. A lot of people knew him. He made friends very, very quickly. Tom kept more to himself. Wasn't not that I don't think he was not so much well liked. He just was seen as a little bit a loner, a little bit um, a little odd. Because one silver plumian, I'm assuming that's what you'd call them. Mm. He remembers that Tom would play fetch with his dog Gus in the street there, out in front of his shop. But he would use a decapitated doll's head in lieu of a tennis ball or something <laughs> that you would normally use. So he's a little, a little strange. I would be friends with Tom. Yeah. yeah. If, if, you, like if Tom. he wanted you to be friends with Tom. So, <laughs> uh, how do I turn off my gun? That might be getting picked up. How do you I turn off? You can silence a thread. Hold on. Yeah. I'm going to do that. I might have to give it to Emma. How do I do that? Super annoying. Should I just turn off my buzzer completely? Can I just do that? Yeah. Your buzzer. <laughs> okay. Hit your pager. Okay, ready? <laughs> On September 7th, 1987, Tom told some of the few people that he did know in town that he was taken off for a European vacation. He was leaving what? immediately that day. He would be back, but in the meantime, I'm off to Europe. I'll see you when I get back. Weird. Very sudden. No one knew anything about it whatsoever. Tom locked up his shop. And he walked out of town with his beloved mutt, Gus. Walked out of town to go walked to Walked out of town with his beloved mutt, Gus. Keep that in mind. That doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. Tom did not come home that day. Or the next day. No, because he went to Europe. Uh, yeah. Or three weeks later. Still no Tom Young back. And so they started asking questions. Do you really leave Europe on a seeming whim? I mean, mm-hmm. to Europe? Well, he didn't have a lot of friends, right? Yeah, Who, but... Who's he going to tell? Then why tell anyone? But he suddenly tells somebody on the day he's leaving that I'm going to well, Europe? you know, why in, not case, tell him? in case you need a book, I'm not going to be open. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you take your dog with you to Europe? Yeah, no, but you got to take him somewhere, so maybe he took him to somebody to take care of him. Maybe so. And last we saw Tom, Tom was walking yeah, that's, out of town that with part Gus doesn't make any at sense. his side. It makes any sense at all. 
So the locals started wondering what really happened to Tom. They thought, and then they found out that Tom had not actually bought any kind of an airplane ticket to go to Europe. And I guess they're in, in contact with his family because his family said, we haven't heard nothing about that at all. He never told us or anyone, his part of his family that he was going to Europe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now it became, okay, this doesn't smell right. And they said, last we saw him, he was walking up the mountain with his dog. I walked him toward the mountain with his dog. So the state called out a search and rescue team and they started scouring the mountain for Tom Young, thinking it's been three weeks. But yeah. so really it's more of a, of a recovery mission. But still, they looked, they found nothing. There's no sign of Tom anywhere they looked on the mountains around hmm. town. Hmm. So Tom Young, last seen walking up Pendleton, or toward Pendleton Mountain, had vanished as if he had never been there. Again, that happened nine months or so before Keith Reinhardt moved into Silverblum and found out about this, this Tom Young mystery. So he viewed Tom Young's story from, from a writer's eye and he found it compelling. As I mentioned, he became a little bit obsessed with it. He quizzed his friend Ted Parker about it. And then he just threaded through the town asking everyone and anyone who had ever known Tom Young about their memories, their impressions, any kind of information, what he was doing, what you know, anything yeah. at all. He took copious notes of these, from these conversations. Because remember, he's a, he's a reporter. It's just his nature. And before long, this kind of evolved into the germ of a novel. He thought, okay, well, this will be the novel. I wanted to write something when I was here. This will be it. I, yeah. I, I'll, whatever. I don't know what he had planned to write, but he, he threw that, checked that aside, and he said, I'm going to write a novel based on this story about Tom Young. Mm. The lead character kind of morphed into this composite of he, Keith Reinhardt, and Tom Young. Kind of a, mm-hmm. a, a melded character of the both of them. Mm-hmm. I guess a little more Keith's personality, maybe, and but the Tom's adventure. Mm-hmm. He called the character Guy Gypsum, by the way. Guy Gypsum. <laughs> That's a pretty cool name. Nice. It's actually a pretty lame name. Anyway, digging constantly, Keith obsessed, but then real life, it came at Keith like a distraction. His store was not doing well, not doing well at all. So his sojourn into the Colorado Mountains was becoming a financial drain on he and Carolyn. There had also been some friction with Carolyn and his family over this whole trip, as you can imagine, as oh, there's, there's friction with you right now, and yeah. I'm not even going to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> so I imagine how it was for Keith. Yeah. Although maybe his wife was more supportive. I don't know. And his children, too. Maybe Fuck they were more supportive, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Certainly the dream of Carolyn coming to stay forever in Silver Plume was fast fading. If he, you know, He's not going to make enough money. This is, again, during the summer tourist season, yeah. so not likely. Worse still, though, he had started writing with a spree and a, and a hunger, but that the flow of his writing, his novel, had slowed to a crawl by now. He was kind of getting writer's block. And he would often push aside writing the novel in favor of just reexamining his notes about the real Tom Young and, and investigating Tom Young. And it was kind of taking the place of writing this novel he was hoping to write. Yeah. So the novel's going nowhere. He learned nothing of what happened to Tom Young. His enthusiasm for the project that would kind of save himself from himself began to flag. So this is where Keith found himself in July 1988, the clock ticking on his newspaper sabbatical, his dream dying day by day when he walked into the mountains. Mm. But the one thing that had been going well during this time, walking up the mountains to get in shape, he was doing it. He was loving it. He'd go on these walks all the time. He was still uh, acrophobic, though, and in fact, he had tried to conquer 12,000-foot Pendleton Mountain a few times. The most recent time, he was forced to turn back 
because he got dizzy. He had vertigo. Yeah. It, it wasn't just a fear thing. He actually got dizzy when he got heights, although that probably was psychological if he does have acrophobia. So I it imagine. wouldn't be an uh, oxygen thing at that height? I know. That? No, that, that's okay. not that high. We've, we've both skied well over 12,000 feet. Did you, do you remember getting dizzy? Probably. You probably broke a collarbone and then on, on soft, soft powder because that's what you do. I'll tell you that story one of these days, guys. <laughs> I may have a, He'll tell I, a story <laughs> from a place where he was not. No, I was not. But I've heard the story, and it's so funny because she was probably going about four miles an hour on soft powder. Anyway, I've seen you ski. You were going four miles an hour. <laughs> I wasn't even going four miles an hour. I literally okay, just my, got off the lift, so be quiet. My point, exactly. But he was still hopeful of beating even that challenge of, of climbing Pendleton. So many days, Keith would take another stab at his windmill. And oh. worst case scenario, he would luxuriate in this wonderful summer mountain day. So he was mm-hmm. loving that part of it. He loved the mountains. He really wanted to stay in the mountains for the rest of his life. So he loved the mountains more than he loved Carolyn. Got Pretty it. much, yes. God damn it. Wow, you people are so judgy. Carolyn's probably having the time of her life. Yeah, probably she's probably partying in Chicago, yeah. right in the loop, going to Cubs games. That's about all I know about Chicago. <laughs> oh, wait, checking out the bean. Was that there then? Probably. Probably, so yeah. Those are the three things I know about Chicago. Oh, wait, going to Lake Michigan, okay, and hobnobbing with Al Capone. I, I may have <laughs> oh some, my God. some timing might not be quite right there, but that's what I know about you Chicago. Mm-hmm. Oh, White Sox, Bears. Okay, so my apologies to the Chicago Blackhawks, one of my favorite hockey teams. Sorry about that, guys. When, uh, when Keith would make these attempts, though, at climbing Pendleton Mountain, he would leave in the morning because – a round trip up and back Pendleton Mountain took about a solid six hours hmm. to do. And that was no place to be at nighttime. <gasps> it was late July, 1988. On the last day of that month, some elk hunters prowling the mountains about an hour's walk from town stumbled onto a shocking scene. They found most of a human skeleton under a tree in the forest. What? Bones were kind of strewn around by scavengers. You can see one disjointed fibula and tibia, I guess, sticking out from a boot, but it was pulled off the, the rest of the body. Good mm. lordy. Most of the bones were still nearby, nearby the skull. Wait, so this is before Keith? About a week before Keith left. left. Okay. Exactly. About a week before Keith left, those hunters found this body. The skull at the base of the tree was shattered by the trajectory of a single bullet. Ooh. Oh. The hunters poked around a little more, and they spotted a backpack. It was weathered by exposure, but next to that backpack was a pistol. It was a Smith & Wesson thirty-eight revolver, just like the one Tom Young had bought four days before leaving on his non-existent European vacation. Oh, I think Tom I think, wasn't really going to Europe. Mm-mm. I think we know what happened. Do you know what else happened, though? What? Do you know what else was lying next to the, the human skeleton? What? Oh, no, a dog skeleton. The dog skeleton. The dog skull also had a single bullet hole. Oh, no. Um, so I think it's murder-suicide. Who killed suicide. the dog? Gus shot <laughs> Tom and then shot himself. Gus the dog shot yeah. Tom the human and then shot himself. <laughs> that With opposable thumbs, that would be a likely suspect. Mm-hmm. Then it'd be a, like, who did it? But we don't know. Mm-hmm. It had been 10 months, but finally Tom Young and his dog Gus had been found. Not surprisingly, the county coroner declared Keith's death a suicide. Tom's. I'm sorry. Declared Tom's death a suicide. Yeah. Because then who'd take care of the dog? Give him to anyone. We'll talk about that. 
We'll talk about that. There's some theories on that. (laughs) Ineptly, though, no ballistic tests were done on the gun found by Tom's body. It was just assumed. Could have been a murder, murder. Could have been a murder. <laughs> we call that a double <laughs> murder. Yeah. Now Carrie calls it a murder, murder. She's very murder, simple. Murder. It's a murder, murder. As opposed to murder, suicide. <laughs> being consistent. Yeah. Uh, no, in baseball, when they play a double header, they call it a game game in Carrie's world. <laughs> We're going to play a game game. It was assumed he used that gun to shoot Gus and then himself, but they didn't bother to do the ballistics. Mm. So the elk hunters had found Tom and Gus, but. But I have a question. Yes, go ahead. Would they normally? What? Oh, you do ballistic tests? Yeah. If it if it is really apparently a suicide, yeah. would they? I, probably not. I don't know. In a small county like that, probably not. It's, yeah. it's expensive or it costs yeah, money and their budgets yeah. are always super tight. So it was, just, but it's, it's kind of considered sort of lazy of them and maybe not very thorough. Yeah. Like probably, just to be Both safe. Although sense. it had been out there in, in the weather for almost a year. So it may not have been feasible to do a ballistic test. Mm-hmm. You know, it's probably rusted. It's like a six-shooter Smith and Wesson thing. Like I don't. That. I think they could probably still do it. Probably. Okay. Carrie. I'm actually in ballistics. Well, Carrie is. She does uh, <laughs> know Carrie's criminal justice corner. That's right. So corner. she has some experience. Yeah. She knows blood spatter, mm-hmm. our splatter. No one knows what the real word is. Mm-hmm. She knows spatter and spatter. it's nonsense. Yes. For the most part, she knows bite mark technology. She's basically a forensic. Yeah. Scientist. Also Honestly. nonsense. Yep. Most of almost all forensics are. I, there's almost nothing that's true forensic science. DNA. It's not science. That's about it. Yep. There goes my major. <laughs> no, make it better. Yeah. No, I, that's it, not my major. Massive room for improvement. <laughs> yeah. So the elk hunters had found Tom and Gus, but had they really found out what had happened to them? Was it suicide, as the scene yeah. seemed to suggest? And as the coroner had ruled, many of the locals said Tom would never shoot Gus. He loved that dog. It's not something he'd ever do. They thought possibly something more sinister had occurred those 10 months ago or 11 months ago, whatever it is. So there's rumors around town and there's talk, but nothing happens. Mm -hmm. And again, when Keith moves in, it's just sort of, hey, you know who owned this place? Yes, Tom Young. He disappeared. One week after the discovery of Tom Young and Gus, so it's August 6th, 1988 now, Keith made a decision. It was 4.30 in the afternoon. Just the end of another fruitless day trying to sell antiques and pictures and probably <laughs> not doing much. Poor, what's his name? Uh, Keith. Keith. Keith, the subject of our... <laughs> Keith locked up his shop and headed out. He ran into several new friends on the way. He seemed to be going out of his way almost to waltz around town and, and talk to people mm-hmm. as he at the end of this, this work day. He even went into the KP Cafe next door where his buddy Ted Parker mm-hmm. ruled the roost. And he talked to those people. And to most of those folks that he met, Keith told them he was going to go for a hike up and back Pendleton Mountain. Well. It's 4.30 in the afternoon. Yeah, that shouldn't happen. Nightfall would be about 8 p.m. at that time of year. So that trip, remember, took about six hours. Keith was kidding them. They one all decided. He's joking. He's just having fun with us. No one... Least of all, this still somewhat out of shape and acrophobic mountain newcomer, Keith Reinhardt, would be stupid enough to make that trip at this time of day. Mm-hmm. They all thought. They all, at least after the fact, that they've all said, we thought he was just messing with us. Yeah. Silver Plume, remember, is true mountain country. There are wild animals in the mountains that loom over the town, including black bears and cougars. Oh. 
There are cliffs and precipices all around there. There are also countless abandoned mine shafts from those silver hunting days up and down the mountains. Yeah. It's not a place you want to be at night. It'd be easy to lose the trail at night. And with nightfall, so nightfall is about three and a half hours off when he was talking about, I'm, I'm heading out for my hike up Pendleton. And there was no way he could get up and down Pendleton, obviously, during it with daylight. And at 12,000 feet plus, even in the summer, it'd be really cold up there at night, it, risking hypothermia, right? Mm-hmm. Cold enough for that. Keith did not appear to be even vaguely dressed for this kind of a mission. He just wore his normal antique selling clothes, not even a jacket or boots. I mean, just just the stuff he'd worn all day. Yeah. He, just, he just locked up and said, I'm heading up the mountain. Huh. Huh. No one recalled seeing him with any kind of a gear as he left town that afternoon. Yeah. No, not even a backpack, nothing. A not water even, bottle? Not even water. Not even a water mm. bar. Maybe some people thought he was carrying a can of Coke. Uh, <laughs> seriously, that's it. Got my can of Coke, going up the mountain in my tennis shoes and pedaled in. Khakis. <laughs> seriously, I'm, I'm, I think it was jeans. And again, this was a mission he had tried before and always failed. He had never made it up the top of Pendleton. And he had always done those in the daytime after presumably preparing mm-hmm. for the hike that he had planned. Stretching so, properly. Get some good calf yeah. stretches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I meant by that. Carbo load. <laughs> Absolutely. You got to do carbo load. You got to get some mm-hmm. pasta. You got to get maybe some power bars. Do they have power bars in 1988? Or there's a thing. I don't remember. <sighs> they had like granola bars, yeah. of course. Yeah. Lots of those. We didn't have like what we would now With actually call power bars. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Uh-uh. No. Granola was that was the olden days. That was the olden days. Now they have a whole aisle <laughs> <laughs> and they're grossly overpriced. So Keith told some folks that he planned on being back by 10 p.m., which is pretty ambitious. And it was kind of a personal deadline, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he said and he took off about 4:30. And wait, hold on. What? Oh, go ahead. I was say, which means he really intended to do that. If it, it sounds like it, huh? But again, That's they all think strange. they all think Keith is messing Keith is messing with us, right? Yeah. Ted Parker would later say, "Quote: He was in the cafe and told me he was going to make it to the top of the mountain. If I don't come back, call on the rescue." And he and he said that in jest. I felt I have this picture of him pointing to the mountain and saying goodbye. Huh? That's how Ted felt. Like, hey, if I'm not back by 10, call the rescue team out. So it's like, okay, you're, you're just messing with right, us again. Right. You're, not, you're not really going up the mountain. At 10 o'clock, it'll, be, it'll have been dark for two hours. You're yeah. not going to make it in that time anyway. He looked himself five and a half hours. And again, he's not like a you know, power hiker. He's not yeah. an right. experienced hiker at all. But this was no joke. Keith was attempting to hike a mountain. He had never been at night in the dark with normal clothes, no special gear, and seemingly just on a whim, a spur-of-the-moment snap decision. Hmm. Very odd. The next morning, people in Silverplume realized he was not joking. Uh-oh. Keith was a no-show at the shop, the antique and matte photograph shop, as you recall. <laughs> yes. Matte photographs are just the border around the photograph thing. Uh-huh. They just look cool. Is that the idea? Mm-hmm. There's no special well, kind of photography. that It can be any picture, right? Yeah. Okay. You just put a matte over. Yeah, you just made a photograph and then people buy it and put it in their own frame, basically. Hmm. Because I'm still rooting for Keith, even though he's been disappeared for 32 years. So (laughs) some people remember seeing him starting up the mountain the previous afternoon. So again, the people he was talking to in town, they saw him just leave town, presumably at most. But there's some people said, no, we saw him as we're coming off the mountain. 
yeah. 4.30-ish. He's starting up the mountain. We, we thought, that's weird. What's he doing? So they just probably assumed he was just going for a little walk. He's yeah. not really going to try to you go up the mountain. You could do a short hike. You don't have to go all the way up the mountain. Absolutely. Yeah. But remember, he had told people, I'm going up the mountain. Yeah. I'll be back by 10 p.m., well after it's dark. You know, they're thinking, God, he really did do what he told us he was going to do. And we thought he was joking. Someone went to check at his house, and they didn't get an answer. And they're thinking, you know, good God, Keith got lost in the mountain, and he spent the night in that cold, dangerous place. He may still be out there, they thought or hoped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was August 9th. So the day after he did this was August 9th. The state of Colorado sent out its Alpine rescue team in search of Keith. They hoped to find him lost and cold and dehydrated, but alive. And this was an extensive search. One of the big, at the, I think I've read somewhere it was, the, at the time, the biggest manhunt ever attempted in Colorado. Helicopters. I don't think they call a rescue search a manhunt. A woman hunt? A person hunt? No. No. They're not they hunting they call someone. It a, a rescue, rescue. attempt? Yeah. <laughs> a manhunt is like when a criminal's on the loose. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sorry, Keith. Oh, but you guys hate Keith, so it's okay to... No, I don't, okay. him. I don't want him to be dead. I feel like... I, I want him to go to therapy. Okay. <laughs> yes. Right. So they got helicopter... We want him to be successful in improving his life. I see. So not get, just... Come back, go to therapy. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Make nice with Carolyn. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Whoa. Divorce Carolyn. Sounds Carolyn like... might have moved on. <laughs> Carolyn's already down with him. Already gone. Wow, Carrie. I, are you trying to signal me if I do... <laughs> if I do go on, this, on my midlife crisis to Colorado, you're just going to... Adios. Check out. I don't know. Move on. I don't know. I'll let you know when the time comes. Seems fair. So it has helicopters buzzing around the air and while ground searchers are clamoring all over the mountain with dogs, too, with his scent. The searchers included professionals from the the rescue team for the state, but also a ton of the townspeople of Silver Plume came out and volunteered. Mm -hmm. And the guy from Chicago had made a really good impression, and they wanted to find him. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, it is. See, which defies your bad mouthing of Tom and saying what a terrible human being he is and saying how much you hate him and wish <laughs> and are glad he's dead is what I'm hearing from you. No, he could be perfectly nice to the silver plumerians. <sighs> I don't think that's how you say it. I don't know we got that idea. <laughs> you, that's weird that you, you'd say that. But it always was a near impossibility. The authorities knew. So the professionals knew, yeah, no, it's a, it's a search and rescue, but not really. Charlie Shemansky... He headed up the rescue. He would say, quote, the Reinhardt search was like looking for the proverbial needle in a haystack. This haystack is 3,000 vertical feet of 60-degree slope. This was about as difficult a search terrain as we cover. We were at a real disadvantage because Keith went into the mountains wearing no more than blue jeans and a flannel shirt and tennis shoes. He had no backpack. He had no equipment. A typical subject of a search will leave lots of clues for us to trace. Keith didn't leave many clues. He didn't have many with him to leave behind. Mm. So they, they they knew they weren't going to find things. Like you, you find little traces of yeah. this guy. A he, water bottle, a shoe, a backpack. Something like that. Well, yeah. Really? You shouldn't. Are people dropping their stuff when have they're you, hiking Are up you aware of Hansel and Gretel, Carrie? Have you heard of Hansel <laughs> yes, and or Gretel? I okay. am. Well, that's a, is that the one with the but, breadcrumbs? Am I having yes. the right myth? Okay. But so know. the search and rescue guy is saying hikers and backpackers usually just leave their shit around? That's the implication. Or at least they, they're more likely to leave some trace of them to, for them to follow. And, and Keith went in there just naked. If you have more things on your person, yeah. if you're lost, it's more likely that some of your shit got, you know, strewn around when mm-hmm. something bad happened to yes. you. Yeah. 
Yeah, but still, that's how they, f- they find you, whether huh. you're alive or not. Yikes. Well, that's one of the ways they find <laughs> so I'm you. I'm not a mountain hiker. <laughs> that's the only reason. Yeah. No, Carrie's not a mountain hiker. She's a street hiker. <laughs> <laughs> she hikes the dogs every day. I do, as yes. a matter of fact. Yes, you do. Their search also involved fixed wing planes, and that would prove unfortunate. On August 12th, the fourth day of the search, a Cessna looking for Keith crashed. Oh, I mm. thought you were going to say that. Sorry. One of the two searchers inside perished. The other was badly injured. Wow. This story keeps getting worse and worse. Worse and worse. Worse and worse. So already realizing they were very unlikely to find an alive Keith Reinhardt by this time, the authorities called off the search entirely. Decided not to kill anybody else in exactly. the process. Yeah, mm. of finding a person who they thought was almost certainly yeah. was certainly dead. Keith's disappearance passed from being a search and rescue operation to an open investigation for the county sheriff's office at that point. Hmm. Okay, so that's the end of part one of the disappearance of Keith Reinhard. Next week, we'll bring you part two, where we try to figure out what happened to Tom, what happened to Keith, and the theories which abound about the disappearance of Keith Reinhardt. Don't go looking him up and trying don't, to figure it out before you don't. listen to part two. Make it fresh. Make yeah. it fresh. See if you agree <laughs> with us. Yell, be willing to yell at the whatever Phone. you're listening to your podcast on. <laughs> so that's it. So we'll see you next week with part two. Anything you want to say, guys? No. No. Okay. See ya. See ya Bye. later. Right on. See ya.